Hi, this is Rachel Sher, former Backlot Tour cast member, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 55 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at storiesofthemagic.com audible. There's over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including my own book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. In this episode, we continue my three-part interview with Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. In part one, we talked about how he first got interested in, and then interested in working for the Walt Disney Company. His very first interview of someone from Disney when he was 12 years old, how he got started working for Disney, including why he had to move to Orlando, teaching as part of Disney University, then tours with Disney Adult Discoveries, a couple of ways Walt Disney was always keeping the guests in mind and planning ahead, what he loved most about what he did, and more. Now before we get into part two, and there's a lot in part two, this is the last week to get that special gift for you as a listener to Stories of the Magic. Now, in case you haven't heard me talk about it before, in preparation for the release of the book, I created a one-hour audio walking tour of Disneyland. Originally, this was available only to people who bought the book during the launch, but now I'm making it available to you as a free download for the month of April. So as of the release of this episode, you have a little less than a week still to get it. No strings, nothing to fill out or sign up for. Just go to storiesofthemagic.com slash faithaudiotour. That's a direct link to the file to download it. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash faithaudiotour, all one word. And thank you to the dozens of you who've already done so. Now, in this episode, Jim talks about the job he'd love to have working for Disney, which doesn't currently exist. Why he wouldn't want to work at the Disney archives. Why Disney historians are so needed right now especially what or who you may find just looking around your own neighborhood. The Waltz People series of books by Didier Getz, and something he just discovered in the last couple of years that people had falsely, mistakenly believed about Waltz since 1935. Werner Weiss in his Yesterland.com site. Something special that most people never knew about a light bulb in the car barn at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Something the public doesn't get to see now, but it's a cool little fact. Jim's Disney bookshelves, they are impressive. Why he wanted a print edition of his books, not just a Kindle edition. How he came up with the idea of starting to write his first book. How long he plans to continue writing. What The Vault of Walt is all about. And then his second book, Who's Afraid of Song of the South, and his most recent book, The Book of Mouse. If you're interested in Mickey Mouse, you need this book. A little teaser about a couple more books he has coming soon the Disney book he'd like to see written, and why he loves reading so much. A question that we have for you. One of Jim's favorite Disney books, and one of mine. Answering the question of whether Walt was anti-Semitic or anti-Catholic, and how do we know? And finally, Walt's early experience with church and religion, and how that affected him later on including why he didn't go to church after he grew up, and his belief about how you should show your belief in God. And this isn't even all of it. We packed a lot into less than an hour. So now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Hi, this is Rick Moyer. And this is Amy Moyer. And we are the hosts of Taken With You. The weekly podcast where we discuss life at the geeky Moyers home. And then we talk about our faith and how it relates to the world around us. Very, very positive podcast. And we think you really enjoy it. And I love Star Trek and heavy metal music. And I like 
Star Trek kind And of. heavy metal music. And I hate heavy metal music. <laughs> <laughs> Want to hear more of our banter? You can by listening to our podcast. Where can they find it? You can find it at TakeHimWithYou.com or iTunes. That's right, iTunes. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. The absolute role that I would love to do if Disney came back and said, Jim, we, we love you, the world loves you, what can we do to make you happy? Uh, I would love to have a role that doesn't exist at, at Disney now, and that would be Disney Historian, to actually work at Disney University and be that resource uh, for the entire company, do do presentations for the uh, for the cast members for different departments. I was doing that. I I, I would go to uh, food and beverage and do a presentation on the history of Disney food and beverage. I'd go to merchandising and do a presentation on the history of Disney merchandising. You know, and Kay came and all of that. Uh, you know, be that be that resource. Even create uh, tours or presentations for uh, uh, guests and be that that resource and gather the information. People say, well, wouldn't you like to work at the Disney Archives? And I talked with Dave Smith, and the Disney Archives is actually a lot smaller in terms of staffing than people realize. And the Disney Archives is very, very limited because, again, they're not historians, they're archivists. And an archivist is like a librarian, which means you gather material and you catalog the material. And at Disney that material is coming in at an overwhelming rate every day. When you say Disney, you're now saying also ESPN. You're saying ABC. You're saying Star Wars. You're saying, and everything is coming in that day, and you've got to get that cataloged and organized and filed, you know, or scanned, you know, so it can be used. And if you don't finish... There's more stuff coming in tomorrow as well. You're constantly falling behind. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a tough go. You know, only a very small portion of their time is devoted to Disney history. So, yes, my dream job would be Disney historian for the, um, for the Disney company and do oral interviews with all of these people who are still left, you know, uh, get all of this material organized uh, together because there's been, you know, hundreds of books about uh, Disney, thousands of books, and and foreign editions as well. And you need translations of some of those too, right? And mm -hmm. get all of this, this stuff to, together in one place. And, you know, I, I would like to do that and, and set up an organization to carry on after Corcus, you know. Uh, to, to get this done because I, I think it's a vital thing that needs to be done and we're on we're right on the brink now of, of losing all of that you know I've studied Walt for for decades I learn new things every single week you would think a guy who passed away uh, nearly a half century ago everything that there is to know about him everything you know is, is has already come out it, it's not true there's more to find. There's more to find out there. The world is still full of wonders. Uh, so, so those of you who are going, oh, I was born too late. I'm never going to have the opportunity that Jim Corcus did, you know, to, to talk to these people in person and, and, and all of it. There's still treasure out there to be found. There's still treasure to be out, out there to be found. You ne and you never know. And it could actually be in your hometown. You know the the uh, person Paul Castle, who uh, who was the main Mickey at um, uh, Disneyland, who was personally selected by Walt. He ended up out in uh, Edmonton, Oklahoma. Hmm. Nobody knew he was there. You know, so able to track him down and able to you know get some information before he 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 passed away. But he he was there for decades. People could have come up and talked to him and gotten some great stories, you know, uh, about Walt and the Rose Parade and the, and the whole thing. So those of you out there who are interested in Disney history, you know, don't, don't sit on your comfy chair. Get up there and uh, start looking around your neighborhood. Start looking around on the Internet. Start looking around. Uh, you never know. 
Didier Getz is the editor of a series called uh, Walt's People, which is a, a 13 volumes, and there's another 13 coming. Uh, and all of them are filled with interviews uh, with people who knew Walt or worked with Walt. And here's a great thing that Didier found. Didier just wrote a book called uh, Walt's Grand Tour, which was uh, Walt Disney and Roy Disney's vacation in uh, 1935. And so thanks to the Internet now, he has access to, you know, libraries and sources that are overseas. Right. And he was able to find something that disappears in books and magazines. The Disney family believed this. Uh, since 1935, they they believed it. We this was only discovered a year ago, two years ago. Walt Disney never received a medal from the League of Nations for the creation of Mickey Mouse. If you look at every book, if you look at the Bob Thomas book, all of this, they believed it was true. I have seen a letter that Walt wrote to his sister where he says, I just received this medal from the League of Nations, whatever. It turns out it wasn't from the League of Nations. It was from a group that represented themselves as being in the spirit of the League of Nations, and several of its members were members of the League of Nations. But the League of Nations never gave Walt a medal for the creation of Mickey Mouse. You'll hear this on documentaries, the Disney... uh, Archives believed it was true. They newspapers have printed this for over since 1935. Everybody thought this was true. Two years ago, we found out it wasn't. Wow. And and found out correspondence, you know, to support this and and all of this. But Walt Disney, the entire Disney family, believed this. Was, and again, they had the medallion. It, it was it was presented to them, you know. But it was not from the League of Nations. Hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. It is fascinating. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's always new treasure out there to be found. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, what else is out there? What else is out there? What else did we think was true? And, and, and you know, and, and, and for me, you can probably even hear that in my voice. There's a great joy. There's a great excitement, you know? It's not a disappointment. It's like, really? That's what was true? That was what the story was? Wow. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's so great to hear and have another way to have have it documented mm-hmm. so that, you know, 15, 20 years from now when people are like, hey, you know, I think I heard something about Walt getting a medal from the League of Nations. You can point to a half a dozen resources from, you know, the early 2010s mm-hmm. that says, no, people used to think that, but it's not true. And I, I, I know. And, and, and again, you know, it, it, to bring that up to date, uh, those of you who go to the, the Disney parks, just within the short period of time you've been visiting the Disney parks, what changes have you seen? And many of those have never been documented, you know? Yeah. And I love pointing out to people at Disneyland when we get to the partner statue and they, they all think that it's been there since park opening. Like, no, let me tell you some of the things that were. <laughs> and, you know, this just came about in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. No, it must it has to have been there longer. Like, no, it hasn't. No. There, there, used to be tree, there used to be all sorts of things there at, that, at Disneyland that aren't there uh, anymore. Yeah, used to be a stagecoach with real horses. Mm-hmm. Used to be pack mules that you could get on and 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 ride, you know, a, a, around through there. You know, even the original submarine ride uh, is different than what the uh, the Nemo one is uh, uh, today. And I recently got a very nice email from uh, uh, a woman who ha- who has a, a website, and she says, "You know, I just finished reading your book," and she says. I've been to the park over 400 times, and you've pointed out things that I never saw before. I never looked to see that before. You know, there's always something more, mm-hmm. and people are going to want to know. You know, in the old days, it was tough because you had cameras and uh, could only take, you know, 12 pictures or sometimes up to 36 pictures, and that's it. You know, so you you took that picture of, of uh, Aunt Edna 
you know, sitting at the table when you should have been taking uh, uh, the picture of the uh, grape juice stand that had the Ivan Earl mural, you know, uh, on it, because nobody took a picture of that. Um, right. And and now with digital cameras, uh, I, I, I have a, a good friend, uh, Werner Weiss, who uh, uh, does uh, Yesterland.com, which covers a lot of the extinct uh, uh, attractions and, and things at, uh, uh, at, at Disneyland. And um, I, sometimes his wife will just not go out with him in the park because I, I went out with him and um, within three hours he took 2,000 pictures. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> because you you take that long shot and then you take that close up and then you take it from from this angle and then you take this and you never know is, is that trash can going to change out? Is that signage going to be different? You know things like that. So yeah, he he took two thousand photos in three hours, and and so I said, I can understand why sometimes your wife doesn't want to go. <laughs> Right, (laughs) and says leave the camera home leave the camera home but again he takes such wonderful photos and then when you go to his website and you see some of these things you go thank heaven somebody took that photo you know how many times did i walk by that and just not pay attention Mm -hmm. so it's so hard to pay attention to everything you, then you just get used to the things you're used to paying attention mm-hmm. to, and you still miss the rest right. even when the opportunity presents itself. You know, how many people you know are moaning the fact that, uh, gosh, I wish I had uh, taken more pictures of uh, Mr. Toad at Walt Disney World or or the Snow White ride there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wish I had taken more pictures of the, because again, nowadays at Disney, sometimes things just disappear without notice. Right. Because they they don't want people to get all stirred up, so uh, you never know. One day it's there, yeah. the next day, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I was so used to that being there, and uh, you know, I, I, I one of my favorite places was the car barn on uh, Main Street, but now that's become a off stage or backstage area. It's not open up to to guests anymore. I loved going in there and seeing a horse in the stall. They they have a uh, uh, a light bulb that's hanging down on a on, on a wire that is an actual Thomas Edison light bulb. Uh, Dis- wow. Disney paid eight to ten bucks to this guy in Virginia who hand makes Edison light bulbs. You know, so just for that sense of authenticity that that's in it. But now all that area is closed off to the guests. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, you know. But again, too, Disney is a business. So you you go, if nobody's going on the Mr. Toad ride, you know, it's time to put something else in there. Right. If nobody's going into Carousel of Progress, it's time to close it down. No, but I always want it there just in case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it it's like people come into my house and, and uh, I have two walls just in the living room, just in the living room that are um, bookshelves uh, 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 over six feet tall and uh, uh, over uh, five feet uh, wide. In fact, I'm looking right now at one, two, three, four, five of them on, on, on one of my walls, and they're filled. They're crammed with – they're so crammed with books, I actually have to put books on top of books that are standing up you know, uh, in there. And they say, Jim, do you really need all of those books? And I said, no, but I want those books. I, I like knowing that they're there. <laughs> right. Well, you could have this on Kindle. No, some of these books aren't on Kindle, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I love having the feel of a book in my hand, you know. And so that's why when I went to a publisher, I, I said, I want a print edition. He says, well, you know, uh, uh, books sell more on Kindle these days and all this. I said, I don't like write, reading a book on Kindle. I want a book that I can put up on the shelf, I can have in my hands. And so uh, Bob McLean, who's the publisher of Theme Park uh, Press, um, uh, www.themeparkpress.com. He always likes me to, to say that so people will go and read his blog there. Uh, you know, He says, nope, I like books too, and, and, and there's something about having them up there on, on your shelf and the different colors and you know, flipping through them. And it, it seems real to me, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, that's why when I published my book, I did it 
both ways. Okay, there's the Kindle version for the people mm-hmm. who want it, but I'm the same way. I like the physical book. Yes. Do you see that there's any difference in terms of sales between the uh, the print edition and the Kindle? Or, or are they pretty much the same? They're pretty close. The Kindle might get maybe 15 or 20% more mm-hmm. at most, but... I think if I were to look at everything overall, it it probably comes pretty close to averaging out. See, I, I, it's the it's the same with uh, with my books. You know, uh, people say, no, no, the the Kindle's going to sell the print two to one or four to one or whatever. It, maybe it does for some books, but uh, I, I guess people who want to read about the stuff that we want to write about <laughs> 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 like having a real book. But again, I'm I'm so happy that people do read the books, you know, and do seem to enjoy the books. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it definitely is. It, you know, it's nice to write it for ourselves, but part of the reason that we write them is also that we want the information out there and we want other people to benefit from and, it. And, and, and to have that legacy that will continue on hopefully beyond beyond you as well, you know. Yeah. People will still get some insight and enjoyment out of that beyond the initial Here's the, I always say that I'm in it for the marathon, not for the short sprint. So, yep. Because because anybody can write a, a negative book about about Disney and turn that out, you know, quickly. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And 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 people will immediately buy that, but but I don't know if they keep buying that in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Uh, at some point, you got at least I would hope that they don't. Right. So, and since we're on the subject of writing books, you know, we've talked about the ones that you've written mm-hmm. and, and you just kind of talked about why you wanted to write the books in the first place. But how did you come up with the idea of starting that first book? Where did that come from? I was out of work. Disney had laid me off. There was no <laughs> checks coming in. And I, I, I took a look, too, and I, and I thought, well, what skills do I have beyond do you want fries with that? What skills do I have that that uh, I can utilize in the Orlando area here? And uh, one of them uh, w- was uh, uh, was writing. I've, I've been writing for um, a long, long time, and and hopefully have gotten to be a better writer. And so, yes, uh, one of the desires was I've got to get these stories out before they're lost, and I may be the only one who knows some of these stories. But but the uh, the the more practical thing was I've got to start getting you know some money coming in <laughs> you know uh, as I look for work and uh, uh, all of this and so uh, and now nowadays uh, it uh, it's much easier to to publish and I, I found an outstanding uh, publisher who's who's a huge Disney fan but is also a a, a, a great businessman, and um, he says, "Yeah, you you supply me the the content, and I can I can produce the package." And so that encouraged me to uh, uh, to do that. And then the initial reaction to the Vault of Walt um, was just tremendously surprising to me. Diane Disney wrote a, a, a foreword. She was very gracious. She says. You know, I knew my I knew my dad at home. I didn't know him, you know, at work. And and you know what you're sharing here is is so important. I'm learning, you know, so much more. And uh, so she wrote a forward. And, and at that point, she had only written two other forwards in her entire life for books. So it was like, what? And the reaction to the book was so strong. It was like, well, okay. I, I, obviously, I've I've found a, a little. Here. It's not a copper mine and it's not a silver mine because it's not paying like a, a J.K. Rowling or a Stephen King or whatever. But there's a little bit here that, you know, will able to get me a happy meal every now and then. So uh, right. so I wrote a second book and, and, and people like that. And it was like, well, I've still got more to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my intent is to is to continue writing. Uh, as long as as, as people continue uh, buying and also uh, obviously in, enjoy it, I, I've uh, thanks to the books I've also been able uh, to travel. B- people have invited me up to uh, uh, conventions or events. Uh, this last summer, uh, I, I went up to um, Detroit, Michigan, uh, where they had rehabbed an old um, 
uh, classic movie palace, and they were reopening it, and they were going to show um, Mary Poppins on film mm. as, as the very first uh, film, and they wanted me up there as a speaker you know, before the film, and then they put in an artificial intermission, because there's no intermission in the original Mary Poppins. They put in an artificial intermission to sell more concessions, and I, I, I talked then as well. And then uh, uh, in the lobby, I had a little setup with books and all that, and I was surprised at how many people uh, came up and said, oh, yeah, I already got your book, and I love this, and will you sign this? And other people, oh, yeah, I want to buy this book. And, and um, that's a wonderful feeling. That's a wonderful feeling that something you wrote uh, has given joy to, to other people and that they've really liked that. And that's very encouraging to me to go, well, I'm going to keep writing as, as, as long as people, you know, want me at the party. As, when mm-hmm. they get to that part of, oh, another Corcus book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll go off and I'll make balloon animals for drunk college students. And... Uh, <laughs> live happily ever after there. But, but, but yes, the, the, the two reasons for writing the books were got to get these out, got to get these stories out before they're lost, and also got to get a little bit of money coming in to, to help uh, uh, as, as a safety net while you know, I explore other uh, uh, employment opportunities. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So now, for people who haven't read them, and I will have links in the show notes to all of them, so yes, yeah, go, go out and get Amazon. those immediately because something we haven't covered in here is well, we did. We mentioned that my mom and dad passed away, mm-hmm. so I'm an orphan. I am willing to be adopted uh, by a, a rich older uh, woman, so um, you know, don't don't hesitate there. But until that time, buy, buy those books. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they'll do until that person comes along. Yes, right? yes. Well, and, 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 and I hope that she will be independently wealthy and a, um, a, a licensed nurse and a certified librarian. And uh, then we'll be able to live happily ever after. <laughs> Sounds completely reasonable to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, so the first book was um, uh, Vault of Walt. It, it's been uh, reissued now and updated with five new stories as the revised Vault of Walt, and it's uh, broken up into four sections. So there's a – because I find that Disney fans are always um, – have a particular area of interest. Some people are only interested in the park. Some people are only interested in pins and vinyl nations. Some people are only uh, interested in the movies. So Vault of Walt is, uh, is divided into four sections. So there's um, – Seven stories about uh, Walt Disney, uh, about his relationship to uh, uh, religion, uh, about uh, you know uh, his eating preferences, things like this. So things that you won't find in any other uh, Disney book. And then there's a, a, a section devoted to the films. So there's seven stories, and, and those are uh, devoted to um, uh, different Disney uh, uh, films that, again, usually don't get... Um, uh, coverage in uh, in other books. So, you know, uh, my point was to try and get down the information that uh, uh, nobody else had previously published. So, you know, I, I cover uh, the Alice in Wonderland that was written by adults uh, uh, Huxley, you know, and uh, so dear to my heart and um, uh, Aristocats. Uh, and then there's a section just on the theme park stories, like uh, Cinderella's Golden Carousel. I'll never get around to calling it, uh, what is it, Prince Charming Regal Prince Carousel Regal now Carousel. or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah, and so on Tom Sawyer Island and the Mickey Mouse Review attraction, the Carousel of uh, uh, Progress. And then there's a final section, which is called uh, uh, The Other Worlds of uh, Disney. And so there's seven stories in there, you know, including... Um, how uh, uh, Khrushchev is planned visit for Disneyland and uh, the uh, photographer who took a lot of photos of Walt and, and uh, Walt's women, including his um, uh, housekeeper, uh, Thelma Howard, who died a millionaire without realizing it because Walt would give her um, stock for her birthday and on holidays and he said, hang on to these because this is going to be worth something one of these days. 
and so when she finally passed away, the 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 stock was was worth well over five million dollars, maybe more, and she had no clue, no clue, because Walt had said to hang on to that, so so she did, and again wow. that was so popular that. Uh, there's a second volume out, uh, Vault of Walt, Volume 2, which again is divided in the same four sections with uh, uh, seven stories in, in each section, and uh, a book called Who's Afraid of the Song of the South, which um, half of the book covers the entire history of uh, Song of the South from when Walt first picked it up as a kid uh, to the controversy uh, today. And again, all of this is just uh, straightforward, you know, just the facts. It, 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 you know, if there was an art of the Song of the South book, this is what this book would be, except Disney wouldn't let me use any pictures, so there's no pictures. Uh, forward by um, Floyd Norman, who is the very first black animator and story man at uh, uh, Disney, hired by Walt himself. And then the uh, second half of the book is just... Um, uh, again, a lot of uh, unusual, out-of-the-way Disney stories, like uh, how uh, J. Edgar Hoover uh, started a file on Walt Disney, why he did that, what was in the file. Um, uh, Walt's uh, uh, commercial studio in the 1950s to make TV commercials that he, he kept uh, quiet. Tim Burton's uh, um, time at uh, uh, Disney as a, as a young animator, Ward Kimball uh, and, and his belief in UFOs. And then the newest book is uh, that just came out this last fall is The Book of Mouse, which is um, almost everything you ever wanted to know about um, uh, Mickey Mouse. You know, I figured uh, for his 85th birthday, there needed to be one location where all the information about Mickey Mouse could be in there. So there's a, a whole section on Mickey at the, at the movies with uh, different stories, like on the making of uh, Steamboat Willie and Mickey Mouse's appearance at the Oscars and all that. There's a, a huge annotated filmography where I list every film that Mickey's been in, both from the Disney studios and from uh, uh, other studios. There's a whole section of Mickey at the parks where you know we talked a little bit about uh, Paul Castle being uh, the first Mickey Mouse, so there's a whole uh, uh, essay on that. There's an essay on where the Mickey Mouse ears came from and the Mickey Mouse balloons and uh, the Mickey Mouse um, uh, attractions. Uh, there's a section uh, called Mouselaneous where uh, we talk about how tall Mickey is and how that cha has changed over the years, how his eyes have changed, why he sometimes wears uh, green pants. Uh, where does he live? Well, according to Disney Today, he lives in Mouston, but originally it was Burbank or Hollywood. And then there's a final section where there is just pages and pages of um, uh, quotes uh, from famous people about uh, Mickey Mouse, as well as an entire uh, multi-page section of Walt Disney uh, quotes about Mickey Mouse uh, over the decades. So, uh, again, uh, I, I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, she took this book on, the, uh, on a cruise recently, and she came back and she said, you, told, you should have told me this book was different. And I, and I, I said, what do you mean? <laughs> she says, well, it's not like your, your other books, you know, with, with all those little short stories. This is like an encyclopedia. She, she said, within a half hour, my mind was so filled with, with facts, I just had to put it down. I, I, my mind was exploding. <laughs> and uh, Brian Sibley, uh, the Disney historian over in the UK, who, uh, who wrote a book about uh, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is his uh, life and times there. Um, and a great book. It's a great book. I recommend it. Um, uh, in his review, he says... Listen, I wrote a book on, on, on Mickey Mouse. He says, Jim has stuff in here I never knew in my entire life. <laughs> you should get this book. <laughs> wow. So, but again, that sets the bar pretty high. So um, actually talking with you, I'm playing hooky right now because I'm finishing up another book that will be coming out uh, this summer. 
So I'm very excited about it, very, very excited about it, especially that it, it's so close. The thing I'm most excited about is it's so close to being finished. <laughs> <laughs> I know just what you mean. <laughs> and um, so, you know, and, and I will cont- – and, and again, this is completely different than the other books that uh, uh, I have ever written. But it, it's Walt-related, and it has uh, information that has never appeared in print before uh, about uh, uh, Walt Disney. And uh, I think it's going to take catch some people by surprise. I look forward to seeing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you working on the Book of Duck by any chance? Yes, I am. A- actually, it's called Just Ducky. Oh, okay. Yes. Nice. I, I I had hoped to have it out, you know, by June for for Donald's uh, 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 birthday. It's his 80th this June, but you know, it, it, again, a, a book takes as long. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and that's uh, always longer uh, than to, you would to do. And 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 again, sometimes it's hard to find that information. It takes time, and so. Um, a lot of it is done, and, and I sh- shifted over to this uh, to this other book. And as I said, it's it, it's almost complete, thank heavens. And but I've still been working on just Ducky, and then then it'll go out. And and then people say, well, then are you going to do one on on Goofy and, and Pluto and and all that? I I might limp uh, lump all of those together into one book called The Rest of the Gang because. You know, Mickey has such a, a, a wonderfully diverse and uh, rich career. You know, he's touched so many different things. And, and in the book, you know, I, I tried to hit as much of that as I, as I could. You know, the merchandise, the comic strips. The, but, but Mickey has been in video games. He's been, you know, on records. And, and so uh, I, I also have notes for a, a sequel called More Mouse. <laughs> uh, to, to to fill up, you know, uh, and again, as long as these books continue to sell, I'm going to continue to write them. That, 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 that's the bottom line. So those of you who are listening to this podcast, if you want to see more books, you need to vote with your wallet. <laughs> exactly. Vote with your wallet. Buy the book. And, and the great thing about Amazon is they, they discount them. I, I have nothing to do with... With the discounting, Amazon just decides on its own what it's going to discount and 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 how much. But um, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely. So what Disney book would you like to see written? Oh, that's a good question. I, I I will tell you one that I would like to 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 see written because people are constantly coming to me with questions, and I I said one of the books that I would like to see. Uh, the Disney Company write is the Big Book of Imagineering, and the Big Book of Imagineering would have all of the backstories and all of the information on all of the attractions and all of the Disney parks. <laughs> you know, all the ones that are there, all the ones that are gone, all the ones that are coming, all the ones that have changed, all the ones that have changed. So you know, so that I can open that up and I go, Oh, Claude Coates worked on that attraction. Oh, oh, and in the corner there was a hidden Mickey underneath that over there. Oh, okay, fine, you know. And this was the original storyline, and this is what they changed it to when they did yes, the refer. Yes, yes, yeah. You know, and and oh, the reason they put that there is because they ran out of paint. Okay, great, you know. So yeah, the big book of Imagineering. So it would be several thousand pages. So maybe it's a multi-volume series, but I, right. I you know, I I would love to see that. Um, it, 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 is there is there a particular book that when you go to your Disney bookshelf and you go, oh, I wish I had a book on such and such. Uh, that that big book of Imagineering is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, because uh, you know, uh, thankfully there are some wonderful wonderful uh, books out there, and, and and as I said, thanks to. Uh, uh, the ease of publishing uh, nowadays, uh, more and more books are coming out. So it's always just very exciting. It is. And again, I just love books. And my problem is is I'm not just interested in Disney. I'm interested in comic books. I'm interested in comic strips. I'm interested in vaudeville. I'm interested in amusement parks. 
I'm interested in old TV shows. Uh, you know, it, and so that's part of a problem too of why I have uh, uh, so many books. I've got books on dinosaurs, you know, dinosaur movies, you know. So, mm-hmm. and 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 again, I think that, that that's wonderful. And and uh, uh, my dad once described to me. He says, "Well, you know what they have in heaven," and uh, I thought. What ice cream puppies? What? what and, and he says, "Well, you know, they have a library in heaven that has all the books that have ever been written, all the books that ever will be written, and all the books that were going to be written." And he says, "Your library card is for eternity. You can go there and read anytime you want." Yeah, that sounds like heaven to me. Yeah, I thought, "Ooh, that's cool." <laughs> <laughs> So you know that that that's uh, yeah that 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 would just be wonderful because I mentor a lot of uh, uh, college kids and all that and sometimes go and I lecture at universities and so I run into a lot of twenty somethings and I'm just really surprised that how many of them don't read they mm-hmm. don't and not even on Kindle or Nook or whatever they just aren't interested. In reading, you know, they uh, and even like a Star magazine or uh, National Enquirer, they'll skim, but they won't sit down and read the entire article. Yeah, and, I, and I'll go look. That, that looks like it might be like four hundred words or so. You you could read that, you know. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> here's the picture up here. Right. <laughs> See, I I loved reading because I saw my dad read, and I I loved my dad very very much, respected my dad very much, and um, and he read and he read a, a lot of different things. He loved science fiction in, in particular, but he read a lot of a lot of things, and uh, so I just started my own little library, and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and now it's. Uh, uh, one of these days, thank heavens there's no earthquakes out here in uh, Florida, but one of these days those bookshelves will come tumbling down, But and hopefully I won't be beneath them when that happens. But <laughs> but, it's a, but it's a huge set here. And and so I don't know if you ask your um, uh, listeners to uh, whether they send in comments or whatever, but maybe you should ask them um, what are their top five favorite Disney books on their bookshelves. Well, that is a good question. Well, one of them better be mine, but right. uh, you know, or no more <laughs> podcasts for Randy here. Uh, <laughs> but but yes, you know, if if you had, uh, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people have extensive libraries, uh, but I I think every read listener to your program probably has some Disney books. Uh, what are the five best books that they have on on their their uh, Library shelf that's Disney related, and I'll I'll join in by by telling you one of my favorite of the top five books on my library shelf, and that's uh, Walt Disney and American Original by Bob Thomas. Uh, that's that's the biography of Walt Disney. It was originally published in 1974, and it has continued to stay in print since it was published. Uh, Bob Thomas was uh, just passed away recently. Um, Bob Thomas was the entertainment reporter for the Associated Press. So uh, he interviewed Walt personally many times. Uh, He was Walt's choice to write a uh, uh, the book that came out in 1958, which was um, uh, Walt Disney's The Art of Animation, which was a book uh, to promote uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, and uh, after Walt passed away, the Disney Company felt there should be an official biography of Walt Disney. And uh, they went to uh, uh, two other writers, uh, uh, Lawrence Watkins, who had written some of the uh, live-action uh, uh, Disney films, and uh, Richard Hubler, and they, they weren't happy with either of those for a, a variety of reasons, and so they went to... Bob Thomas, and Bob Thomas said, well, I will write this as long as there is no restrictions. You know, this is not going to be a puff piece. I'm going to show the good and the bad. I will only write, and they said, absolutely. They opened up the entire Disney archives, the entire documents of the Disney studio were available to him. 
the Disney family opened up their personal vault. Uh, Bob was able to, we were talking about people passing away. Bob was able to interview people um, uh, that other biographers have not been able to because they're gone now. But Bob got them and all of that. And he put together this wonderful, wonderful biography, uh, Walt Disney, an American original. It shows both the good and the bad, but it's not tabloid uh, 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 sleaze. Although in the book, he does say that Walt won a medal from the League of Nations for the creation of Mickey Mouse. But um, the final book, the Disney family said, yes, this is fine with us, but we would like to request two things be removed from the book. Do you have any guesses what those two things might be? No idea. I will. I will tell you that if you you go by the edition uh, uh, that's on Amazon right now, Thomas put those two things back in to the book. But at the time the book came out, they didn't want him to mention that Sharon Disney was adopted. Hmm. Okay, because at that time, you know, there was there's still that little cloud about being adopted nowadays. Nobody cares, but the Disney family was concerned about that, you know, because they didn't want it, her to seem like she was a lesser daughter, I think. She was Walt and Lily's uh, daughter. The second thing they wanted removed was the year that Lillian Disney was born. <laughs> now, we didn't know the reason for that until Lillian Disney died. When Lillian Disney died... Nobody, obviously there were people in the family who knew this. Lillian Disney apparently was two years older than Walt. So she did not want the year of her birth in there because she did not want to seem like a cradle robber. Right. <laughs> but but both of those are in that edition now. So on, on my Disney uh, bookshelves, and and I've got foreign editions, and I've got all sorts of limited editions, and things like that. One of my favorite books, one of the books, and there's tons of Disney biographies out there now, and, and some of them are very good. But to me, the one that I always go to, the one that I trust, and the one that's really readable. You know, some of these biographies are like academic uh, uh, scholarship tracks, you know, with, with uh, uh, multiple footnotes on on every word, you know, uh, but, uh, Walt Disney, an American original by Bob Thomas, great book, wonderfully, uh, affordable. And so when people say, well, Jim, I want to read about Walt Disney. What, 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 what's the best biography to, to me? This one still, uh, stands up now, since I've shared one of mine, uh, do you have a favorite Disney book on your library shelf, Randy? Actually, I do. I do have Bob Thomas's book. I agree that one is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have one by Pat Williams oh, called How to How Be, to like, be Walt. like Walt. And I really enjoy that yes, one. I, I, I think that's a, a good call because um, I think it's little known. I don't think you hear a lot of people talk about that book. And I know for a fact that Pat Williams did a huge amount of research original research on that book. It, it, it wasn't that he was, uh, you know, pulling from or, uh, previous sources. A lot of people do that. He did a lot mm-hmm. of original uh, research, a lot of, of original uh, interviews. Well, how do you know that, Jim? Well, because he quotes me multiple times in the book. <laughs> <laughs> right. He bought me lunch. He sat down and he bought me lunch and uh, interviewed me, and, and, and I'm in there. But, but there's a, a lot of great things in there. And then after lunch, it was great. He, we walked out to the parking lot. He actually bought me lunch at Wolfgang Puck's at uh, uh, Downtown Disney. And we walked out to the parking lot, and he popped open the trunk. and was filled with boxes, and he started pulling out copies of other books that he had written, How to Be Like Jesus, uh, you know, things like this, uh, uh, to give to me just, just, as, a, uh, uh, just as a gift. The, the guy's written a couple dozen books. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, he, he he's the uh what is it? The senior uh president or vice president of the Orlando Magic uh, basketball team. Yep, and co-founder of the team. Okay. 
Very good. And, and yeah, I, I think the book is wonderful, packed with uh, a lot of good information, great quotes, and um, uh, some great advice of, of, of lessons. But, again, it's not a book that uh, uh, comes up uh, commonly when people talk about Disney books. Good call. Mm-hmm. Good call, Randy. Thank you. And, and, and make sure you also have uh, uh, Randy's book on your shelf and one of mine on your shelf there, too. That's right. And Pat Williams endorsed uh, Faith in the Magic Kingdom for me. Very cool. Very cool. I loved his book before that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 have you met Pat personally? I have not, no. he, he He's uh, very dynamic, very uh, charismatic, and very nice. You know, when you when you talk about integrity, you talk about a person being who they say they are or who they claim to be. And uh, Pat Williams is is really a man of uh, uh, integrity. That was that was my uh, experience with him. I can see how he would be. So yeah. Um, and on the subject of books, and I do want listeners to comment on the show notes or on the Facebook page for the, for the podcast or whatever, and tell me uh, what you know, your favorite book or your top five are, or if you don't have five, maybe a couple that you'd like to have in your library and don't yet. Or or a Disney book you'd like to, to see written because maybe Randy or I will end up writing it. Yeah. Maybe, or maybe we'll co-write oh, it. Oh, that's knows? true. That's true. That And anything is possible. Anything that's is right. possible. So one chapter in the vault of walls, and it's one of the chapters that you mentioned as you were describing it, is the gospel according to Walt, mm-hmm. uh, where you talk about Walt and his faith and his view of other faiths. Um, and we mentioned a long time ago now, <laughs> Meryl Streep mm-hmm. claimed that Walt was anti-Semitic, and you had said that's not true. Right. So what's the story there? Was he? Wasn't he? How do we know? You, you know, it's like that uh, uh, Shakespearean play, Julius Caesar, you know, when Caesar gets killed, you know. Uh, the, the bad stuff live lives after, and the good is interred with their bones. You know, um, Walt Disney was such a larger-than-life character, such an iconic uh, person that uh, people constantly look and see. Well, there, there's got to be some flaw. There's got to be something uh, wrong, especially since he grew up. Uh, during a period of time that was now considered politically incorrect, you know? Everybody mm-hmm. smoked. Nobody thought anything about it. You were pregnant and you smoked. Nobody, nobody thought anything about it. That's just the way it was. Um, and so people uh, constantly wanted to find, you know, he can't be perfect. He can't be as good as he seems we've we've got to find uh flaws with that and one of the flaws and this never came up never came up when Walt Disney was alive this on, this only started uh, to pop up maybe a decade or so after Walt's death was that uh well everybody knows that Walt Disney uh is anti-semitic uh, Walt Disney hates Jews and 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 again if you say something often enough and loudly enough, suddenly, for some people, it just becomes true. So you, you see on uh, uh, shows like Robot Chicken or Family Guy, they're constantly making fun of, oh, well, you know, uh, Walt hated uh, Jews, and so he would kill these, these Jewish characters or things like that. Not the case at all. Uh, Walt was a um, very conservative Christian, uh, you know, his, his first um, uh, experience with the church was uh, uh, St. Paul's uh, Congregational Church, and the Congregational uh, uh, sect, again, very, very uh, conservative and straightforward and, uh, you know, uh, don't play music on, on Sunday and, and that type of stuff. Um, but Walt just had this openness, this open heart to anybody who, uh, you know, believed in, in uh, God, believed in the Creator, and, and to all religions. He didn't even tell religious jokes. You know, it, it, people said, you know, he, he, he'd never say, you know, well, a rabbi and a priest walked into a bar, and never, never any of that uh, stuff. Um, Walt's daughter uh, dated uh, uh, a man of uh, uh, the Jewish faith, and they were even considering getting married, and Walt was with that, had no problem 
uh, with that. Uh, many of the top people who worked at the Disney Studios uh, were Jewish. The Sherman brothers were Jewish. M- Marty Scalar was Jewish. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember one time being at an event and Richard Sherman leaned over to me because they were talking about this on, on stage, and he says, nobody was more Jewish than my brother and Marty. And, you know, Walt had no problems with them whatsoever, <laughs> you know, on, on, on any of this. In a couple of the early uh, Disney cartoons, uh, there was uh, just, brief, we're talking seconds, just seconds, of, uh, you know, a, a character or a toy, uh, you know, doing that uh, traditional uh, Russian uh, uh, Jewish dance, you know, where you're squatting and then you kick out one leg and you kick out the other and, and back mm-hmm. and forth. But again, that was pretty much what was being shown in live action films and theater and, and all of that. What was amazing about Walt is that he got rid of that so quickly. You know, it, 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 by the time you're hitting um, 1934, 1935, those things never appear again, ever. Uh, the, the closest to a Jewish stereotype was in um, uh, Three Little Pigs, where the big bad wolf is trying to get into the pig's house. So he disguises himself as a Jewish peddler. And again, this is just seconds in the in the final film. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, again, that was typical in that time period to have Jewish peddlers, you know, coming to your house. And uh, in in fact, in some ways, it uh, it was uh, uh, almost a compliment because it was like, well, a Jewish peddler is so harmless, you could let him into your house. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you you were you know looking for the big bad wolf and all this, you could let this guy into your house. Well, uh, Walt, as I said, thir- uh, that came out 33, 34, 35, Walt's, you know, changing all this. Walt, with his own money, there was no money in the budget before the f- Three Little Pigs got re-released, had it reanimated so the entire scene is the wolf is disguised as a fuller brush salesman, <laughs> which was another, you know, door-to-door salesman that was popular at the time. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, one of Walt's best friends was um, a, a, a rabbi. Uh, Walt actually in 1955 uh, got the Brene Brith Man of the Year Award. And trust me, the Brene Brith has been around for hundreds of years. They researched Walt and vetted him deeply before they gave that because you don't want to give an award to somebody who is now then going to say something anti-Semitic or do something, you know. So there's so much, so many facts. Uh, Walt had a rabbi at the at the uh, uh, dedication of Disneyland. He invited uh, uh, the Anaheim Synagogue to come free of charge on opening day uh, to the opening of, of Disneyland. He had, he invited Jewish newspapers to come. Um, so all of this uh, uh, factual information exists. But all it takes is just one person going, oh, well, you know, he was anti-Semitic. He did belong briefly for three years to a um, motion picture organization that was uh, anti-communist. But, of course, where are the communists from? The communists are from Russia. What is also from Russia? There are Jewish people in Russia. So there was the feeling of, oh, well, this is a, a, an anti-Semitic uh, organization because they're anti-communist. And Walt was only a member for three years, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, but that, and, and so that's the evidence that uh, uh, Meryl Streep used to slur Walt and say, oh, yeah, he's anti-Semitic. Not a, not a case at all. Walt embraced every uh, religion. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that there was a lot of prejudice against Catholics. I don't think people realize that even in uh, uh, 64, when John F. Kennedy was running for president, a lot of people did not want to vote for Kennedy because he was Catholic. And they felt that if he was elected president, he'd be getting his marching orders from the Pope. And they didn't want a president of the United States being controlled by the Pope in Italy. That, you know, and so there was the, that strong influence. 
for Walt, it made no difference. He sent his uh, daughter Diane um, in uh, her early school years, uh, whereas it uh, Immaculate Heart. So it was a, a a Catholic school, and at one point, she was thinking about becoming a nun. And Walt wrote to his sister and said, "Well, you know, uh, little Diane, she's you know she's uh, 12 years old, and uh, you know uh, she's quite taken with the Catholic religion." And I told her that. Catholics are people just like anybody else, you know, and if that's what she wants to do, I, I think she's intelligent to, enough to make whatever, you know, decision she wants to to make. Um, and there were Catholics working at the Disney studio as well. So Walt embraced all religions. Uh, Walt had a very strong uh, personal relationship with God. Now, interestingly enough, Walt did not go to church after uh, uh, he grew up. And some of that is because in his early years, his father was just so strict in the congregational church. His, his dad would sometimes pop up and uh, give the sermon when the, when the minister was sick or was off on vacation or somewhere. It, his father wore this big, huge black frock coat which uh, <laughs> Walt, Walt later took and and trimmed down with scissors and used in his Charlie Chaplin impersonation <laughs> when he went to vaudeville theaters. But but his his dad was you know very strict. You shouldn't be reading you know popular books if you're going to have your nose in a book. It should be in the Bible. I uh, no you you shouldn't you shouldn't be playing music on on Sunday and and all of this you know it it's disrespectful. His mom would play uh, the organ in church. Uh, his dad actually built the, the uh, wing to St. Paul's uh, uh, Congregational Church in Chicago that still exists today. I, I think Walt's experience with that strictness and, and a God of, uh, you know, we are all sinners in the hands of an angry God type of approach to religion uh, pushed him away because he, he really, his wife even was quoted as saying, you know, he loves all religions, but he really doesn't care for sanctimonious uh, preachers. Mm -hmm. But Walt had a strong relationship, a strong personal relationship with God, even though he didn't go to Sunday school. But he took his daughters to Sunday school, and they went to a Presbyterian Sunday school. <laughs> so, you know, it's like every religion, fair game, you know, as long as you're talking about God and God's light and God's goodness, you know. Uh, I, I think that was very much a part of Walt's life. I, I, I think you, you can even see it in, in some of the films, even some of the attractions at Disneyland, Walt, Walt's belief on that. Walt wrote about his um, connection to God. So pick up a copy of Revised Vault of Walt, Volume 1, you can see some excerpts from that. But basically, Walt felt that with religion, it's shown by deeds, not words, you know, you show that you're a Christian. You show that your uh, uh, respect and gratefulness uh, to God through what you do. You know, uh, Walt contributed to, to a huge amount of uh, charity. He contributed to Jewish charities. He contributed to a Jewish orphanage, to uh, a, 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 a charity for uh, uh, Jews who were in their senior years. All of this. He, he did all of this massive amount of charity work, and he made sure that nobody knew anything about it at mm. all. Because he said that's the whole point of doing charity is you do it. You're not doing it for the recognition of, of, of helping out and, and, and uh, uh, giving. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one, of the, one of the great stories is um, there was a, a, a child with cancer, and the parents wrote to Walt, and they said, uh, uh, our son has That brings us to the end of this week's show. I know it was a bit longer than the usual ones, but we really tried to cram a lot in here. I cut as much as I could, but wanted to leave the really good stuff for you, and I really hope that you're enjoying it. A special thank you to Jim Corcus for being my guest, and to you for listening. We pick up next time right where we left off in this one, and you'll learn a lot more about Walt Disney, so be sure to come back for episode 56. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, 
you've written a book, blogging, writing, performing music, art, whatever, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. Maybe you've done both, done something afterwards, and you've worked for them. And if you're a Disney guest, you haven't done any of those things, but you just have a special story about an encounter or an interaction that you want to share, you've had any special Disney experience you want to share or give a compliment or anything like that, I would love to hear from you too. So just in any of those cases, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Remember, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like In the Shadow of the Matterhorn by David Smith, Creating Magic or the Customer Rules by Lee Cockerell, both past guests on the show, or, of course, my book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. I'm really proud of it, and I'm really proud of the job that Tales from the Mouse House podcast co-host Al Kessel did narrating it. So to download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. And again, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you have just one week left to download the one-hour audio walking tour of Disneyland. Stroll around the park with me as I share some valuable reminders and insights to help you look at the park and some of the most important parts of your life with new eyes. Now, originally, this MP3 was available only to people who bought the book during the launch, but it's available to you as a free download just for the month of April. As I said before, no strings, nothing to fill out or sign up for. Just go to storiesofthemagic.com slash faithaudiotour, and that is your direct link to the MP3 to download it. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash faithaudiotour. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate or review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. And while you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too, like links to Jim's books on Amazon. And please, either in the show notes for this episode or on the Facebook page, let us know what your top Disney books are, or one you'd like to see written. In fact, if you don't want to write it, if you want to call the listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY, you can leave it that way too. We just want your feedback on it. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Basically, just tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.